Hey everyone, we have a special treat this week, particularly in light of these times. Uh, Motivation, the book Drive by Daniel Pink. The surprising truth about what motivates us, and he does a very good job kind of curating the different motivation factors. He calls them drives, Uh, you know, where we went from biological uh, motivators to um, reward and punishment motivators, what he calls drive 2.0, and then to the extra, uh, the intrinsic reward um, that he calls Drive 3.0, which is more purpose-driven. And we go through that and, and apply it to uh, the current environment and look backwards at it. So I know you're going to like this. And I want to thank everyone who's been joining us on our live calls on uh, on Thursday night, our live video uh, Zoom meetings where we're taking questions about the book. And we're going to be doing it this Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Um, so hopefully you can join us because uh, it'll reinforce this this process. It'll be basically a book club. You know, we're going to take in this book every week, learn some abilities. This week we're talking about motivation. You know, what motivates us. Um, look forward to seeing you there. You can find the link below in the show notes. Thank you. So this week we're doing drive by Daniel Pink. Terry, what do you think about it? Motivation book. Yeah. Right? You're yeah. like the worldwide leader in motivation. So this book must have been incredible for you. I loved it. I love uh, I love reliving my corporate life. You know, what 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 things we put in place. Yeah. What what things science is telling us at work versus what we did, most of which was not in alignment with this idea. Right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, you know, if, if anything, it was actually encouraging the wrong behaviors. You know, the, the, the you know, drive is a, a book about you know what motivates us, which I love. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to be motivated? And it's pretty cool too, because there's a. I mean, to your point, the whole idea is the science behind motivation. Like motivation mm-hmm. can be so fluffy, you know, depending right. on where you where you find it. Right. Um, and so I I really liked that, that component of it, and um, you know, basically. You know, to give a 30-second a synopsis, um, the, he, Daniel uh, talks about three different kinds of motivation. So 1.0, which is basically we're motivated by survival, right? right? Um, and that we're going to kind of discard because he really only talks about comparing and contrast the next two. Like so survival in, being food. And sh- food, shelter, water, reproduction. Rep- <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, that animal drive biological um and then so number two is sort of the classic carrot and stick right reward slash consequence it's it's getting punished for doing something wrong getting a bonus at work for doing something right right if you do this you'll get that exactly right that's that was how i ran my company for 20 years so yeah so this must have been yeah well that's how that's what we're told to do you you want my good performance you got to pay if you have bad performance you got to punish pay and punish you know, seems simple. Count the nickels, count the dimes, count the minutes. But as it looks, it's not. It was not the right way to get the most out of somebody. Yeah, that's what was so because it's intuitive. Like it makes sense, and so right. the science keeps saying no, no, no. It advocates for number three, which is the intrinsic component, uh, um, valuing more of the, the state of flow, which Terry will will talk about in a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah, the idea that people are incentivized by more than money, they want to be immersed in something, they want to be purposeful, mm-hmm. and that really is sort of an underlying human motivator. 
how do you manage purpose? If you're a company, it's like, how do you embed purpose into your mission? I mean, I guess there's books that we've done before that talk about, you know, creating why, creating uh, even the meaning of life, the one we did, you know, Man's Search for Meaning. But that, that word intrinsic is, a, is, a, is an interesting word I learned many years ago in a business valuation course. And uh, if you look it up, it's, it's, not, it's, what, it's not really real. It's nothing that you can pick up and walk around. Right. It's certainly not in accounting. You can't count it. You can't like, look it up in a book and say what something's worth an intrinsic value, it was called. Like, uh, an easy example would be your grandmother's, uh, great-grandmother's uh, family heirloom ring. Like it could be technically worth 300 bucks, but you wouldn't take 300,000 for it because it's your grandmother's, your mother right. wouldn't, right? Yeah, they kept going right. down. Like that thing is intrinsic value is off the chart. And another example would be a business that, you know, has uh, a key employee attached to it. The owner is the key employee. Like they're, they know the clients really well. Like they know them better than anyone. And maybe because they know them so well and there's a relationship there, the company's worth more, the intrinsic value of that company is worth more than the, the real estate and the, and the sales. That's called intrinsic value. It's, a, it's, it's not something you touch. So in Mo Motivation 3.0, intrinsic value is like that there's more to this job than the external factors or the extrinsic, right. which is what's out there versus what's in there. And you can see why it's so you know, hard to implement into the workplace because you can't quantify it. Right. It's really hard to manage something that is not directly quantifiable. And these are things you've been writing about for the last five years and, and putting videos out about meaning and purpose and, right. and adversity and, and gaining, uh, you know, gaining strength through discomfort. Like all these things are the, the real deal. It's kind of, it's kind of the, the, uh, the big idea in the book is there's more to life than just doing a job and getting paid, trading units of time for units of dollars. There's, there's more to life in this, in this new operating system. Uh, and if you can capture that as a business owner, you can hit you can hit gold. And to take it a step further, there's even evidence that the old way disincentivizes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That offering money and rewards and you know structuring things the way yeah. we've used to, dangling the carrot, does the opposite of what we think it's doing. Oh, dude, I had a, I had a I had a bonus structure where I was for years that I had to grow the company every year to receive a new bonus. Like you could never not grow. Mm -hmm. And so if you were flat over the prior year, you would, you would, you'd get no bonus. Like, and this is the way it was for years, and lots of companies are like this. So in the, in the beginning of the year, or the end of the, the end of the year you're in, the company will say, oh, you need to hit this number to get a bonus. Right. So if I had 100 people, I'd take my bonus, basically, and I'd divide it by 100 and say, hey, here's your new goal. Like, it'd be my goal, not their goal. Right. And that's really dangerous, uh, especially because I could have done this. I can attach bonuses, some of my bonus to their bonus. So what it does, and I know this, it incents unethical behavior, it incents uh, higher levels of risk, because you end up paying for that either way. Um, that's a danger of, of goals based on intrinsic rewards, All right, which I think is like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, like I live that. That's amazing. Um, yeah, he talks about that, right? The toxicity that it creates. When yeah. people aren't doing things for the love of doing them or to any extent right. enjoying them, but to hit a number. It's like people, yeah. <laughs> people yeah. are incentivized to, you know, the, uh, and justifies the means. You can't pay people after a certain level to make them happier anyway, right? right. All, we've seen studies that it, I think it's 
75 grand is like when happiness stops improving with money and it actually starts going down. So when you think you can start to say, if then, you know, if you do this, I'll give you this, it'll start, it'll start uh, having a diminishing effect. And now the evidence is pointing to it's, it's actually not good. It's a disincentive, like, um, and businesses are still behaving like that. Ones that I, I interact with, I see all the time, like they're incenting people to do things for the company rather than for their own, their own goal or their own attachment to the why in the company. Yeah. Which I think that's pretty cool. What about on a personal level, Steve? What do you think, Steve? What's up, guys? Hey, <laughs> quiet so, over there, man. Fall asleep, did you? <laughs> uh, the main thing I was going to say was that I really love the intrinsic, uh, how it says that it opens you up to all these different things. Right. But the detriments were a really eye-opening thing as well, how it can narrow your focus so much that you have the dangling carrot and that's all you're trying to go for. And when he talks about right brain activities, it can narrow your focus so much that you don't even get to the solution or it mm. slows you down from the solution. Like they talked about that candle experiment. Yeah. It's a really good one. Uh, Tell me about, about that. Tell about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's a really good point. I mean, basically, you know, and I mentioned there's a lot of, of experimentation in here, um, a lot of data to pull from. One of the examples is, you know, there's two groups of people and you know they're they're brought into a room and on this room there's a table there's a candle there's a a box of of tax right and so mm. the idea is they have to what is it light the candle i forget what they actually have to do they have with, to light the candle they have to have the can light the candle without the wax dripping onto the table so the box you got the box the tax in the box and a candle on top of the box it says you got to light the candle and not have the wax drip onto the table. That's so, what it was. Yeah. Um, and they were pay- weren't they paying a group? To, they were paying one group, and then one group was being paid to solve the problem. The other group was not just asked to solve the problem, just as a puzzle. Right. Right. Yeah. The, 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 that's what happened. Yeah. And the, and the group that this is the interesting part. The group that was not paid did it quicker. Right. Than the group that was paid. Because to Steve's point, the, it's, it's hard to, to focus, right? And it's a heuristic thing. Right. Um, it's not algorithmic. You have to think outside the box. Like the answer is actually to dump the tax out of the box, put the candle in the box, and tack the box to the wall. Right. Um, so it's really out there. Now, the other piece, and we talked about this a little bit too, is when they had them come back in a few weeks and do the same experiment, and, you know, this time the tacks were already outside of the box. So it looks like step one, two, like there wasn't much heuristic thinking. It was pretty algorithmic. Mm. It was pretty obvious. Right. Um, the people that were paid did it faster. And I guess that's a, an obvious thing. It was simple and it was, you know, procedural and there was, they were incentivized. That's more fun. Yeah. I mean, do you remember the Rubik's Cube a little bit? Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. I mean, I remember there was some people that could figure it out. They can just play with it a little bit and get it, and they figure it out. You know, their brains would work on, it, and they work on it for hours. That's a heuristic. There's no, there's no pattern. But then they released, or someone figured out the algorithm. It was the first time I heard the word. What's the algorithm? I said, I don't know. It's a set of steps, like a, it's a path. Right. And people, people can follow the path um, in the old world, motivation 2.0. If you're paying them to do it, they'll follow the path. Um, but it becomes boring. Imagine doing that 25 times. You would throw the out, you throw the Rubik's cube in the garbage. You wouldn't even use it. Right. Like the, the heuristic is, you know, it's, it's, it's like you can figure it out and motivation. 
uh, 3.0 is, you know, you got to find out the heuristic. You got to create what's called play. You know, Mihal Chick sent me high, wrote a book uh, called Flow. I love the book because it's also, you know, he studies anxiety and depression and addiction. And, you know, an alternative to medicating somebody is, you know, trying to figure out what they do that it gives them flow. Uh, uh, flow is a, what's called an autotelic uh, goal, task. Like the goal is within the, the goal is within, the reward is within the task, like right. mountain climbing. Like it's very simple, the, the feedback's immediate, it's a very easily well-known, difficult, but not too easy problem. Right. Call it Goldilocks, you know, not too hot, not too cold. Uh, well, flow is a big, you know, here it comes up again with, you know, this book, you know, how can you create flow vis-a-vis play in a business, you know, or in life? If you can figure out how to make money doing something that time doesn't pass, your your hours are no longer for sale. Yeah. Just sort what of a, just, a lot of what? Well, I was thinking about it, you know, when you do something, like you like to run, that was what we said your flow is, right? Before, in our conversation, I said, imagine if you like to run and then flow, it like, it, you know, requires concentration, time, kind of goes by hours at all, you know, you don't notice. And then um, you get the reward, the autotelic reward, and you get the satisfaction. But imagine if you can figure out how to get paid to run. Right. Like, there's some people that get paid to do what they love and they have flow. Yeah. I mean, and up to, to your point, like up to a certain amount, it matters. Mm-hmm. But then it's, you just want to, you know, once you're secure, to your point, the, the objective is the task. So there's not going to be any unethical behavior or anything like that when, you're doing it for the sake of doing it. So it's like, you know, that's the whole idea about incentive. Google, uh, we talking about Google, you know, they gave you a, a, a day off, basically a week. I don't know how they did it, but they they basically had a full day, 20% of the... That was Google talking. That's what happened. You said Google. Go- and oh, God, it's Google. <laughs> we got... You don't plug that foolish thing. It's our... Uh, it's a router. I'll just leave it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, leave it. But the... They, you, you get a day off to go do whatever you want. Like, you can go figure something out. And then, you know, what engineers were doing was remarkable. They were going off working on problems that, that, that they wouldn't be paid to solve, and they came up with all these great products. Yeah. Gmail, Google News are all products of uh, that free time, you know, to go, go off and figure something out. You know, go be in flow. I mean, and that's what the engineers would do. And that will work for anybody. If you go... You know, go work on a problem that you're interested in solving for the company. We'll pay you. Come back with your ideas. Right. Yeah. I mean, a cool way. it's the beauty of it, right? Can't quantify it, but these people are right. in their happy state. They're creating, they're being innovative. They're pushing boundaries. They're mm-hmm. not adhering to guidelines. Right. And they're controlling their own time. Well, that's very important to people. Yeah. Because he talks about the elements of how to create a, a drive environment, a drive 3.0 environment. And, and it comes down to three 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 things that I think are genius. The simplicity of this book are these three things. Autonomy, you know, to be autonomous and to strive for but never get mastery but have a mindset of that, that mastery is uh, something to strive for and then, of course, purpose. You know, when you wake up in the morning, he says, what gets you up in the morning? One question to ask yourself and the other one is, what keeps you up at night? And if businesses can focus on the, even, even so autonomy right being the first one Mm -hmm. that sense of independence right um you know zappos did that with call centers yeah i know right they 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 x'd out the the 2.0 
component and they, they wanted to give people the freedom to make their own decisions and operate in a way that allowed them to at least bring some individuality in what they're doing, dive into it. And so they, they eliminated it and they let call center workers work from home, which is like unheard of. Yeah. They said, just figure out to make the customer happy. That was your, that was your guide. No script because you know, the scripts is a very, very algorithmic you know, tasks that they'd pay for right. that, that now, of course, you can go overseas. You very rarely ever get an American call center. You're always going to get something overseas in a, a country that speaks almost our, our language, but the pay is a lot less. And then they said, just heuristics, just figure it out, make the customer happy. And they gave them tons of freedom. And, you know, Zappos, I mean, it's always brought up if someone's a Zappos customer. I heard someone talking about it in the pool. They were returning a shoe. <laughs> that didn't fit right. Like he wore it for a week and he's telling the whole story. I'm sitting there listening. The guy's like, yeah, I wore it for a week. I put it back in the box. The person said, send it back. They're still doing it. This is three days ago. There must be in a lot of case study. I, Cause Simon Sinek mentions their CEO in start with why and mm. how, you know, he even gives people tours of his, you know, his house, like the headquarters, right? Like really sticks to, um, you know, the, the, MO of the company. Yeah, he lives it. So yeah. it was cool to see it kind of filter down like that. These books connect so many different times. Uh, you know, when you're, if you're working with autonomy, I mean, you're going to see it a lot now because everybody's home. And some companies were forced to do remote workers. And some companies, I know I'm seeing this a lot, are finding out, boy, we didn't miss a beat. And now the employees are home, working from home, getting their work done. They're getting the results. He, he visits on a concept called the row results only work environment. Just get the job done. I don't care when you do it. I don't care what you where, where you do it, what you what you wear. Just get the job done. Right. And you know you have control over your time. You have control over your team. You have control over the technique you use. These are the the things he talks about. Um, Best Buy, right? The first implemented that. Yeah. 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 But you're going to see this happen. Like the world's going to change after this this eight week period or 10 week, however long it is, because people are going to be, are finding out companies are now getting the data, like remote working can work in some places very well. Um, now you got to figure out how to blend in the right incentives and not overmanage that because you'll ruin everything that it's created. Cause you know, what's interesting for about a, about a month, I've seen a couple companies that, you know, from afar and I was like, Oh, they're just kind of letting you figure it out. Cause they had no protocol for training someone to be remote. Right. I mean, they were having a hard time getting people on the camera. As I was doing coaching calls and people weren't even turning their cameras on. Now they're all on the camera. They're engaged. They're comfortable talking. Like the whole world's been trained. Uh, you know, it's awesome uh, kind of a parallel point. Yeah, it, it might be an accidental uh, miracle, right? Because right. Th just the fact that people are working from home, it does create, in a sense, some autonomy. Totally. And oh, as yeah. long as they're not being micromanaged, you know, it could... I don't know. I mean, uh, you've heard that study all over the place. When when employees work from home, productivity actually goes up. Right. Um, and you think they're at the golf course, but they're really working. They knocked out their work really <laughs> early in the morning. You know, they they might have knocked it out at midnight. They might have knocked it out. I mean, you have odd hours when you work. Yeah. You don't you don't work a nine to five. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do. That's very true. It's like. Yeah, when they stick you to a schedule, it's like it doesn't work with your right. body. You're not supposed to sit so long and different things like that. It just doesn't, especially for me, it just doesn't That's work. That's interesting, yeah. The physical uh, uh, mismatch. That's why I come home and Steve's doing workshops. <laughs> right. on the you, actually, you actually took a nap today, which I was so impressed with you. I had to. Yeah, yeah he's, he up. came in a little groggy. He says, I'm going to take a nap. 
Um, but that it's cool that you could do that. You literally couldn't do that if you're at work. Like, hey, hey, uh, I'm gonna go take a nap in the conference room. Like, they're like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but if you're at home, and you're tired. Like the body, just to speak to naps, you need to sleep. We're the only mammals in the world that, that force ourselves to stay up. If you're tired, go to bed. You know, that's a whole that's a whole uh, whole interesting kind of transformation that could occur. That you know, Danny wrote this book. Years too early. Like right now, it'd be. I think it might wake back up. This is this book's a little bit what ten years old, I think. Right? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know how old it is. He mentions the early 2000s a few times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's been around a little bit. I love it. I'm a, I'm really happy with the uh, 2009. Mention the uh, like daycare. Years. The daycare example was really good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the daycare example, and it's another example of uh, you know autonomy. Like there are so many things in this book. You know, how, like you think them and you're aware of them to some extent. But once someone points it out and says, that's what it is, you right. realize it and it actually helps you right. like understand where to take it next, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, Steve, that was a great uh, example. So the daycare example is talking about the difference between 2.0 and 3.0. Mm-hmm. And basically there's a daycare and parents usually come after work. So they're coming around four and the people who are in the daycare are pissed that the parents right. are late. So they're like, look, if you come after 4, 10 PM, we're going to fine you X amount right. and we're going to just slap it on the monthly bill. <laughs> and, you know, like we were talking about, it does the inverse of what they thought it was going to do, right? The, the parents came later because they didn't care about the money, right? The reason that they rushed over from work and maybe they got there a little bit late, but they got there as soon as they could was because the intrinsic value of the relationship right. between the people that run the daycare and the parents. And so once they realized that was torched and that meant nothing, they're like, well, who cares, right? I yeah. don't care about a few extra bucks. Um, there's, you know, the incentive was destroyed. It worked the wrong way. Yeah. And that keeps happening. Like in the book, in the corporate environment with bonuses, oh. with all these things, they don't do what people think it will. Let me give you, an, I just thought of this. I didn't think of this when I was reading the book. I thought about it when you were telling me the story about, uh, about the daycare. Like we were having a problem going from what business casual is. We were a suit and jacket, you know, suit and tie company. Mm-hmm. You know, you wore a suit, a sports coat if you wanted to, but always a necktie. And we were transitioning out of that in the early 2000s. Like it was going, you know, smart business casual. So we had people that brought business casual to, to a very, very all new low. Like they, they, they you know, they would, wouldn't wear a tie or they'd port tie it properly or they, they'd wear sneakers. And we'd have to start, we continually put in like uh fines and pretty soon people would walk in poorly dressed knowingly and violating the fine and would just throw 10 bucks in the jar because we had a you know we had a jar from, mm. from it was a big pile of money people are just like screw it i'll just dress like crap and i'll just pay like we had to get rid of that obviously but that's a kind of another example they, they turned it into instead of saying like hey you're bringing the company down you, you know you don't look you know, you know someone has a client here and you're not you don't look good uh, that was the reason we had it, not because they could wear, uh, you know, uh, tennis shoes and shorts, right? And, and pay twenty dollars, whatever it was. I wonder what the like the actual numbers would be if you if you let like say people everyone comes in in sweatpants, right? But they're right. doing their own thing. Like what that would be versus the amount, the opposite. If everyone comes in a suit and tie, like what are you gaining versus what are you losing? And I, I don't think it's possible. Well, no one's ever know. no one's ever done the experiment, but the but the <laughs> well, so it's, a, it's a culture, and then you know the the culture is the sum average of its participants. So if you want to put a professional foot forward, and people are running around in shorts and sweatpants, yeah. and half of them are dressed, you know, like uh, someone who's 
on stage, you know, on stage, you're going to, it's difficult. They got to kind of look the same. I guess, I guess my point is, um, you know, a lot of people moved out of the office and went and did their own things and they had their own offices. I'd visit them. They'd have whatever on they wanted. Yeah. They were paying for it. I didn't care. Right. An extreme example I had uh, an experience of was I visited the head uh, the headquarters of Facebook. My friend had a nephew, I think, that worked mm. there. So we, it's really hard to get like a, a tour, right? They're yeah. like really, really strict. But you walk around that place. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or have I told you this story? No. And heard of what? I missed the beginning. Of, uh, the, I took a tour of Facebook, like the actual oh, headquarters Facebook. where people okay. work yeah. in San Francisco or near it. We traveled to San Francisco. I think it was like an hour south. I forget. Mm-hmm. But the point is, the people working there were just in whatever clothes they wanted, but they had uh, every, you know what, like a landing area for every corporate job. They have like a kitchen, usually in the fridge. They had like fully stocked snacks as much as you could, as much right. as you can eat full, like vending machines completely free for the employees. Yeah. And they had um, a bunch of different things. They even had like a barber. They had, this was all included. And it was, uh, they had little places like to play music. They had a vid- an arcade, just to name a few. They had tons of things, woodworking, all these different things you could use. It. I swear, awesome. at anything you could use. And I was like, I'm anything thinking about work, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I was thinking like, I would never leave this place. They got food, they got everything. Why would yeah. you, I mean, so, and, and that's what happens is people don't leave. They spend so much time there. They feel so, like they've given, they've gotten so much that they give back. And it was just a really, I've never experienced anything like that. So that's like a really extreme example. That's awesome. Yeah. I've heard rumors about that. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's going crazy. That's cool. It's autonomy. Let's switch gears to mastery, the second element. Because flow comes from mastery. You, you can master what, you, of course, you can spend enough time in, you know, on something because no, time isn't really a factor when you love it. Like then, then you're looking at mastery and the distinction between doing something and then trying to, be, trying to attain mastery was an was a interesting thing that he uh, pointed out. Because, uh, like, if you went to play tennis every, every day with the same people, you might like it, you might have flow, but you're not necessarily going to have mastery. Yeah. Because you haven't been working on your game, right. so to speak. So mastery includes those components that are not flow. That's what makes it so unique. Right. You know, the, uh, the, the, the Michael Phelps is the Tiger Woods of the world. Right. You know, there, there are certainly moments where they're going into flow. In fact, in fact he kind of sets flow up as the the first step or the door that you open. Right. So like when you're in flow and you love something, that's, yeah. that's a sign that maybe you, you want to embrace mastery, start right. that journey. Uh, but it's a process and, you know, it's not all bliss. There are peaks and there's valleys and mastery is going through the difficult times. Right. Regardless. Like your run yesterday. Yeah, that was, was it yesterday? Uh, yes. Set, you know, mastery requires some form of discomfort, right? That's your like, big idea in your life right yesterday was hell on earth <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was you got stuck somewhere i was like where the hell did you go i wanted to go on a 15 miler and it was i swear to you it was cloudy and i thought it was gonna rain and i didn't bring a lot of water and i hadn't run that long in a long time and i was like 10 miles in and i was dizzy and out of water and there were no clouds in the sky it was like the hottest day ever and i'm like oh my god i have to walk i haven't had to walk in so it was just it was a blood walk of shame yeah. Well, I got to read most of the book or listen to my, you know what I mean? And then I finished the rest today, right. but, um, a little pain. You don't grow if you don't paint, you know, you don't go into pain. I'm going to get it tomorrow. I'm going Same after Same one. Hydrate tonight. Yeah. <clears throat> That's be my, advice. as I sip here drinking coffee. <laughs> <Steve> the high, <laughs> That's like, um, the, the, the word that we learned, uh, that I love, I think I'll, I'll use it my whole life is asymptote. Nailed it. 
right? right. <laughs> just because it's funny. No, I just, I did, I, I was mis- I didn't pronounce it right the first time. Steve, Steve corrected me. It's a, it's a line that goes towards a goal but never hits it. Like if the goal is, is, is complete perfection, a 10, there's no such thing as a 10 with an asymptote, but kind of goes up. And then when you get close, it, it kind of parallels and always goes up but never gets there. Like Woods will never shoot. Golf's an interesting example because you level. can't, yeah, you can't, you can always score lower because you can't score. I guess the lowest score in golf's an 18. No one's ever shot it. Right. You know, hole one and 18 holes. So golf is one of those, one of those, uh, one of those games. Like, actually, you can't shoot an 18 because some ball physically can't go far enough. So I don't know what the lowest score is, but that I guess would be mastery, which is impossible. Like, but it, we the should lowest putt putt sometime. Yeah, the lowest score in putt putt is 18. That'd be fun. But uh, <clears throat> but you when you get there because he mentioned Wood specifically in the book. You know, he's still trying to get better, even though you know age has kind of snuck up on him. It, the asymptote it has to be embedded in mastery. Yeah. Like if you want to be the best, you should have a mindset, you know, whether you're a speaker or a business owner, you're performing, uh, you want to really always get better at your, at your, uh, at your unique skills. Yeah. There's always, there's always another level. That's Col- sort of. Collins talks about good to great, right? Best in the world. Yeah. Right. The hedgehog. That's what true. are you the best in the world at? In, in, uh, in mastery, what I really liked what he said, he said, uh, why would you chase it if you know you can never achieve it? And he says the joy is in the pursuit. And I love that because that's what I do when I, when I jump. Yeah, that's right. The mindset. Remember we chatted about the, the, two, the two mindsets of mastery, incremental and entity? Like there's two schools of thought on learning and ability that one, it's an entity. Like it is what it is. That's what you were given. Live with it. The entity theory. And the other one is incremental, meaning anything can be improved upon. Yeah. And this is one of the few parts in the book where he says entity's pretty much wrong. Totally. <laughs> like, I, mean, I don't believe it. You know, uh, anything can be improved upon. I, I mean, doubt anybody listening would... Well, he says was, height. He gives the example of height if you wanted right. to change your height. You can't change your height, but that's like what he was saying. Some people might believe that about intelligence, but it's kind of... Right. There is technically a low score in golf, but I doubt anyone would say the lowest score in golf has existed. The interesting. Uh, I read about Unabomber. Mm-hmm. You know why he bombed people? Remember the guy, Ted Kaczynski, he was sending packages that were bombs and he was killing people that, had, that were tied to technology. Mm-hmm. He believed that uh, nothing's going to change in all the great technology. No, he believed people needed to be, live a, a purposeful life. That was his first belief in his manifesto. Then he believed that all the great technology has already been invented, so he started trying to kill the people that invented it. He was wrong about the second one. Like, there's always room. He, like, he was an entity guy. That that was all the great ideas have been invented. And there's so many things since that guy. That was in the 90s. I don't know. You probably don't remember. You're, you're the Unabomber. You ever hear of the Unabomber? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Watch Is that, the, that's the Oklahoma City bomber, right? No. You, no, Oklahoma City was a different guy. The Unabomber, they found him. Uh, he wrote this manifesto. So for years, he was sending these packages and blowing up executives and technology people. He killed a lot of people, and he wrote this crazy manifesto that wow. said that people need a purpose, and why bother even trying? All the technology already exists. All the great inventions are already done. This was in the 90s. How did he get caught? His brother turned him in. His brother recognized his ranting, because he was, they had one picture of him, and he was in a, in a, uh, like a hoodie with sunglasses, but his brother turned him in, and found him, they found him in the middle of, uh, you know, in the middle of, I think he was in like Wyoming in a, in a hut. They got him. The FBI got him. Wow. 
But that, he was an entity guy versus incremental. Like anything can be improved upon for the most part. Get a little bit better every day. Agreed. The dominoes. No finish lines, man. No dominoes. So the third one is purpose. Like, right? Purpose. Moving right along the... Uh, well, that's your wheelhouse. Yeah, man. Purpose is the reason you get up. Mm. Yeah. And everything sort of falls under that bucket, you know? Yeah. And if you have a sense of purpose and you're... You're you're driven again. It's like it's. I feel like there's a lot of tie-in, and we were talking about this mm-hmm. earlier to the mastery component. It's like purpose is what allows you to get through the lows, right? Um, you know, because you're you're incentivized, and so I think it's really tied hand in hand with mastery. Yeah, like Wikipedia is an example. He brought it right almost instantly because Microsoft had Encarta, which was a Microsoft-sponsored paid encyclopedia. For those of you that are over 40, the encyclopedia used to be this giant library of books, like dozens of books that made up the encyclopedia. So Encarta was, in Microsoft, I think, 95. Encarta was there. They paid the best writers in the world to write up an encyclopedia. And concurrently, Wikipedia started with what he called open source, people that just wrote because they felt like writing. Uh, and, of course, Encarta's long gone. And Wikipedia is the most well-known, most highly used encyclopedia in the world. Made out of thin air. Made, made open source. Like, there's no author. It's like everybody. Right. It's purpose. You know, they, like, I want to contribute. Point being that the in- intrinsic component carried the day. Correct. Right, as opposed to the well-funded, you know, Microsoft-backed encyclopedia. Yeah. I mean, they're out of business now. Yeah. What was that famous... Um and I'm sure there's a bunch of them that we you mentioned when we were talking about this book, that uh, their best album when they stopped thinking about what what it was for the goal they they had their best selling album. Do you remember that? They started no. just be, they got creative. I don't, no, it wasn't in the book. We were just chatting about it. They had the best album when they stopped thinking about. When it. they said they're just going to do it for them, just have fun with it. Do you don't remember oh, that? Oh, this is going to drive me crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I'll look it up. But. We've had, there's been a lot of examples of that where people, I don't can't think of any, but right. people, especially artists, they go to do something and they do it out of the love of it. They're like, I'm going to stop doing it or they don't think about who they're making it yeah. for or anything like that. And it turns out to be their best work because they... Yeah. Bands, you hear a lot about that because I watch Howard Stern. He, he has bands on. He had the guy from, uh, I forget the, 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 is it Coldplay, Viva La Viva? Yeah. Yeah, Viva La, La Viva. Viva. He talks about that song. He just saw, he saw the, the painting and saw the title and it was in his head. And one day he just kind of played and then he brought it to the band. They kind of kicked it around and boom. Yeah. They were when, in flow for sure. When you have, when you have the expectation of pleasing someone else, mm-hmm. the whole point of the art sort of falls through the cracks, right? It's supposed to be like this limitless self-expression, like go create something. But if you have that thought in your head while right. you're doing it for someone, there's actually a, a um, studying the book with people in art school. I was thinking about that with purpose because I know in your own world, if you want to comment, uh, like you have an artistic expression that you that you put out and people connect to it and love it. And then invariably people say, wow, do that for me. Yeah. So they'll pay you, right? That's part of the way you earn your living. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many dynamics. To go. I mean, I certainly don't enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, it, it becomes different because... I can't do what I think is right. I'm trying to meet a set of criteria right. for certain people and, you know, they want changes and they want, you know, and that's just the client. Yes, yeah, their lens on their own, right, their right. own message. Um, 
So it's a, it's a totally different lens of looking at work. Well, they're hiring you because they can't do it. Right. And then when they see something, I've done this too. It's like, oh, wow, I'd love one of those for my own business or my own, my own message. And the study that was in the book said that when you pay an artist to give you artistic expression, and you know, you may get something that's technically good, and you may not even know the difference, but uh, what was interesting is when they put it up against the artist, the, you know, the connoisseur of art, and they said that while technically perfect, the paid art lacks the creativity and expression mm. uh, that the artist's own work, you know. And there was an exception, by the way, which I loved. It was, it was just snuck in there. It's called Enabled. Unless it enabled the artist to do something that they love. So if the money gave them time to pursue their own, their own passion and purpose. If it checked off a box for them. Yeah. To, and then freed them to. So it's almost like it goes right back to what we were saying originally. You hit that, whatever it is, probably mm -hmm. higher with inflation. I don't know. Right. But the, the 75 mark. Right. You're liberated. So a truly intrinsic person then doesn't have to think about money. They can think about the things that they care about and ultimately turn out innovation and things that are, you know, groundbreaking, things that will improve things. Yeah. Um, See it in athletes sometimes, right? They just check out. Uh, make their money uh, and leave. Who's the running back? Uh, Barry Sanders. I don't know why he left football. Uh, bas or the Lions football. wouldn't trade him. Is that why? I think but so. I think, I think at some level, if it gave him flow, he would have played football again. Yeah. And then it was a Megatron, Calvin Johnson. Mm -hmm. he, he just left, right? He was, you know, there's, there's got to be a reason. Uh, that they did it to enable a lifestyle. Once that was enabled and not an issue, they didn't do the. Uh, they, if they if they had flow, you got to think like Tiger could easily retire, but he's still competing and he's right. still practicing like a lot, and that's kind of a impressive. But Mike Tyson. Oh my God, Mike Tyson! <laughs> did you see the transformation that guy just yeah. put on? Yeah. yeah. My, from September to now, he looks he's amazing. He's an absolute beast. <laughs> That was good. I was talking to my doctor today. I went to the doctor's for a checkup. And the guy's like raving about Mike Tyson. I said, man, I, I just saw that video and I, my, my jaw dropped. He looks fantastic. You think he's doing it for extrinsic or intrinsic? He's doing it because he's got purpose. He's prideful in the way he looks. I mean, he's pr proud of what he's done in the world. Yeah. Someone probably woke him up. <laughs> I'm sure something woke him up. Yeah. yeah someone probably woke him up. Maybe but, financial uh, troubles. I don't know. That could be. Well, but, I mean, it, boxing enabled him to do what? I don't know whether or not. Maybe he's got purpose. He's done some cool things in the last few years. I mean, he's a troubled guy in some regard, but, you know, his past. But why not yeah. recreate himself, you know? That's one of the questions that I'm excited to ask, uh, you know, Daniel Pink this week or tomorrow. Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, I can't we'll wait. I'm nodding. The idea of, uh, yeah, Steve's like, yeah, yeah, um, The idea of, you know, in the beginning when he's talking about people doing things for intrinsic reasons, the mm -hmm. open source stuff. Right. I'd, I'd be curious to get proof of a lack of externality. Like a lot of people do things for free because they see the bigger picture mm -hmm. and they see the credibility and what that'll bring down the road. Right. Uh, so I just, it'd be, it'd be interesting to hear how he parses that out. You know, I'd, I'd like to know what type of engagement he's getting on this book. Cause he's got a new book coming out. We're going to talk to him a little bit about that too. But this thing should be waking back up, in my opinion, the way in this little area of unique time in history when people are looking, like, particularly when you look your own mortality in the, in the eye and you say, wow, people are dying. You know, 
survival resources are thin. You know, mm-hmm. Remember, it was a little scary going to the store and seeing the lines. Right. What if the economy dies? What if all this stuff happens all at once? You know, what are you going to do with your life? Yeah. You know, doing motivation 2.0 type of work doesn't sound so fun anymore. Well, it's going away. Not yeah. to mention it's not fun. True. The economy is 70% heuristic now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a and big deal. algorithms, we did this in, uh, you know, the, the 2014 Future of Employment Study says seven out of 10, if not eight out of 10 jobs will be replaced by a computer algorithm that does it better. Like computers can do this work. So there's a lot of jobs that are being replaced that, uh, that will be replaced that aren't yet, that will be. So recreating yourself could be, a, you know, definitely a, a viable option. And when you do, consider flow. You know what you love, and you know the the last thing I loved is he is Sagmeister. Do you hear, remember that he says take a Sagmeister? No. The graphic artist guy is named Stefan Sagmeister. He's got his own. His name is a move, and he closes his graphic shop down every seven years instead of saving fully for retirement. He takes one seventh of that and puts it towards his own current enjoyment. Every seven years, he takes a full year off, closes his business, and he goes on a walkabout. He travels and does whatever he wants to do, and he calls it taking a Sagheiser, Sagmeister. And then comes back. I do remember that. Yeah, he comes on the back, vacation, yeah. comes back. That'd you sacrifice cool. a little bit up front, but you come back recharged and ready to rock and roll. Like you, he has his most profitable, right? His most profitable yeah. times immediately after the trip. Totally, yeah, because he's got all these new ideas, totally energized. Yeah. That's an interesting concept. Like, imagine the retirement plan of the future is every seven years. Instead of waiting until you're 65 and you know, maybe squeezing out 20 years, take 10 of those years during your working years while you're young, healthy. Maybe you're traveling with your kids. You know, it's called a Sagmeister. I love that concept. I'm going to take one soon. You, you live in a permanent. <laughs> you are a Sagmeister. Like your entire <laughs> day in life is a Sagmeister. And I live in Sacktown. You showed up today. You were here for 15 minutes. And <laughs> look out on the porch. He's doing exercise. I didn't do it today. Then he took off two hours <laughs> later. He's, he's at home sleeping. Blurring he's going to take a nap. Oh, boy. Oh, you God. tired yourself out exercising yeah. during your job. We were talking about, uh, <laughs> Steve and I, about doing the Google thing. Just having a day or we... Oh, careful. The G word while we're on the air because our, oh, yeah. Devices. Our, home, our home nest. We got that tool now. The G-O-O-G... G L E is it? Oh, two O's, one G L. Yeah, if you say the word, it, it, it it's. It, uh, I tried to mute it, so I don't know if it works. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Hey Google, there it is. He's listening now. Blue. Um, per, going closing the loop on purpose. Talked about the one sentence for your life. The one sentence for my yeah, life. Yeah. What in a war? I love this, but he didn't give enough examples. I would have loved like people's. You know, I know Lincoln uh, preserved the union and freed the slaves. That's his one sentence contribution. So you say, oh, Abe Lincoln, preserved the, preserved the union and freed the slaves. Hey, Google. Stop. <laughs> We're tortured by this new thing. Uh, but Lincoln um, you know, preserved the union and freed the slaves. That was his one-line contribution to, the, you know, to his work as president. And, he, you know, he, he talks about it like a parent. Like, you don't have to be president to have a substantial one line. He, he talked about a, a guy that, uh, you know, raised four kids to be productive members of society and happy. Like, that's a great one-liner if you're ever known for. Or she helped three generations of people learn how to read. So what's your, what's your one-liner, Terry? 
I have, I haven't thought about it until now, but you know, I'd like to be, you know, being, you know, being someone who's looked back on their life and, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to be known for, you know, helping people, you know, accomplish something more beyond what they thought was possible, you know, based upon things that we've taught them. You know, so if we if we help people connect to these books and, and, and become more incremental in their development, meaning they can get better over time, a little bit at a time, and we help 1,000 people, 10,000, 100,000 people do that, I'd be okay with that. It's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. I would too. I mean, I'd have to work on it a little bit more, but that'd be kind of cool. Right around the corner. I mean, I just, I just saw this you know, in, the, in the book. I finished it uh, earlier, earlier uh, today. I like to finish the book kind of close to the end of the podcast, although I've, re I've read this before. I mean, when you're doing a book a week, sometimes you don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, especially, <laughs> so, <laughs> especially if you haven't done anything yet. Yeah, today, I didn't finish till noon today, yeah. um, so I came right up, a, right up against the wall. I would basically take 20% of our, of, our, of our time, because we don't get paid to do this right yet. Like, we take a day off and learn the book, curate the book, shoot the podcast. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It's our 20% time. I love it. Yeah. I like talking about it. And the videos are forever, man. Man, we did a Victor Frankl's uh, book last week. Just love that book. Yeah, if you haven't seen the interview yet, look at it with his grandson. It's fantastic. His grandson, just as sharp as he. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a sharp guy. Um, a lot of good stuff. Totally. You totally. want to tell him what we got for next week? Next week, we have Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Mm-hmm. Nobel Prize. He's actually mentioned in this book for uh, prospect theory. Oh, is that when he's going through all the fifteen books at the end? No, I think he mentioned it because you know it, it, the the point being is people hate losses way more than they like gains, and the, and he talks about the prospect theory, meaning people will keep doing a job that they hate the just because they don't want to have no job. And that and that's like irrational. People are irrational. Uh, but this is a book by Nobel Prize winning. Economist that's a, oh, straight. He won the Nobel Prize in economy, but he's a psychologist. Okay. Have either of you guys read it? I have not. No, I'm I looking not. forward to it, though. Nope. That's awesome. Looking forward to it. Cool, cool. Well, this is exciting. And so we have, again, the, the interview for, with Daniel Pink Wednesday, probably be released Thursday. And then we actually have our live workshop Thursday night. So a lot going on this week. Yeah, cool. Make sure you uh, like us and give us a review. Share us, promote us. Things are going great. And the better we do, the more we can help you. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Take care.